Welcome to the first episode of The Kingdom of Pinfall. My name is Michelle. I am the host, the writer, creator, producer, illustrator, creative director, archivist, chronicler, curator, and overlord of Pinfall. This is a wrestling podcast. It's not wrestling commentary, so if that's what you're looking for, then you're in the wrong place, but you are more than welcome to stay. I'm actually going to try to keep my commentary to a minimum because there's enough commentary podcasts already in existence, so that's kind of boring. This is actually what's known as a podfic, which is basically an audiobook of fan fiction. And believe it or not, I did not invent this concept, apparently. Unbeknownst to me, it was already a thing before I decided to do this, although I thought I was being super clever when I came up with this idea. Um, so, fan fiction, you are probably like, oh my god, wait, isn't that where people write porn about characters that aren't theirs? Yes, um, that is a bit of a misconception, but yes, some fan fiction is, in fact, filthy stuff. Uh, this is not that, so if you're looking for that, you're also in the wrong place. Um, I, interestingly, cannot say dirty words out loud unless I'm using them as expletives, and you bet I will probably be using lots of expletives in this, but there will not be any sexy times. This is an AU fanfiction, which stands for Alternate Universe. What I have done is placed a bunch of wrestlers into a fantasy world where, for some reason, there is electricity but no cars. Don't ask, I don't know how that happened. I've armed these wrestlers that you know and love with weapons as well as magic that, for the most part, I have ripped off from World of Warcraft and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, if you're familiar with any of those, you will notice some overlap with these wrestlers that are here. Uh, this started out as a dumb joke, but I ended up really expanding on it, and I think it's pretty hilarious, and here we are with me about to read some to you. Uh, I think I'm pretty funny. I might be stupid. I've never really been able to tell. Hopefully you'll get some laughs here and there if you choose to stick with me and join me on this adventure. Uh, the story actually goes along with an art project that I'm doing, which is a wrestling tarot card deck, which these two things kind of started at the same time and have both gotten wildly out of hand. Um, I'll tell you more about that after this chapter, and I'll let you know where you can find all this shit on the internet. So, uh, what else do I need to cover? Um, this... Not this chapter, but later chapters will contain some pretty graphic battle scenes because apparently descriptions of violence are no problem for me, whereas descriptions of sexy times I cannot do. I'll try to do light trigger warnings in the intro so I don't traumatize people, uh, but I want to try to avoid spoilers because that's no fun if I were to spoil my own chapter with a trigger warning, right? Uh, that being said, um, anyway, this first chapter is absolutely harmless. It's a nice little intro, I think. 
Um, I also guess I should let you know that this is a work in progress. I'm sitting on about 30k words. I've got lots of notes. I know the ending, but I have not to the ending yet. So this is going to be like a War and Peace Link fan fiction, which should spawn many episodes for your listening pleasure. Uh, and I actually really don't care for podcasts where it's just one person talking into the void, and here I am doing exactly that, so let me stop talking and get on to the actual content. I've covered the basics, I think. So, let's go. The heretofore untold story of the greatest WrestleMania in the Kingdom of Pinfall. Chapter 1. It's a new day. Yes, it is. Kofi artfully wields two huge plates stacked high with pancakes and maneuvers gracefully around the furniture to cross the room. He slides one plate onto the nearest end of the long table. He then does a careful twirl resembling a pirouette all the way to the opposite end of the table while steadily balancing the second plate. He places it down as well and then begins to twerk. On the other side of the room, everyone goes silent and looks at him, turning away from the droning television set. He stops mid-twerk and looks toward the kitchen. He calls back in the direction he came from. Woods! Where's the music? I'm out here twerking without music again! There is no answer, and his brow furrows deeply as he frowns slightly. Pancakes! What a surprise! Didn't expect Kofi to bring out pancakes at all! Mandy mumbles from her seat on the sofa, turning back toward the TV and sinking into the cushions, having accepted this fate. Did I hear someone speak of pancakes in a dejected tone? Biggie's voice bellows from the kitchen and is followed promptly by a loud from Francesca the trombone. Kofi's eyes widen as he deftly grabs a pancake from the nearest plate and hurls it toward the back of Mandy's head. It hits its mark with a soft smacking noise, then falls to the floor with a gentle plop. Mandy reaches back and touches her hair, then does nothing more. Sonia stands and points a finger angrily at Kofi. He throws his hands up immediately in surrender. Tucker watches the scene unfold apathetically. Mandy grabs Sonya's wrist, pulling her arm back down to her side. There's ham! There's ham! Here's the ham! Otis emerges from the kitchen, talking excitedly and carrying a steaming ham. Oh, yeah! The tension in the room dissipates with the appearance of food other than pancakes. After sitting the ham down, Otis licks his lips and gazes at it longingly for several seconds. He wrings his hands together and looks almost like he doesn't want to leave it until he sees the pancake on the floor. He snatches it up and crushes it in his fist. Don't eat that, Mandy attempts to say, but it's too late. He blushes with the entirety of the pancake already in his mouth. He looks away from her, embarrassed, and scurries back into the kitchen. Tucker gives her a shrug. In the kitchen, Otis throws an apron on and begins moving rapidly between pots and pans on the stove, checking on various other dishes. Xavier is sitting on the counter, observing pensively and occasionally droning out a note or two on the trombone as E follows behind Otis to gather dishes. All of the curtains are drawn and rain patters on the windows. Otis brings out each dish and announces every single thing with more excitement than the last, removing his apron and putting it back on each time as well. Sautéed asparagus in butter, pan-seared salmon, lemon zest and parsley garnish, stir-fried broccoli with avocado sauce, wild mushroom ravioli, yeah! 
After completing all of these trips, he returns to the kitchen, points at Big E with both of his meaty hands, and says, Time for the shakes! Make the shakes! Extra protein protein shakes! Big E points back at him in the same manner, grinning wildly. He begins pulling ingredients from the refrigerator and cabinets and piling them next to the food processor. Kale, spinach, eggs, blueberries, a mango, peanut butter, chia seeds, almonds, beets. Do a thing, Woodsy! Otis then points to Xavier. Xavier, who has been uncharacteristically quiet during the dinner prep process, jumps down from the counter as E begins grinding up assorted foods and thrusting his pelvis around to music only he can hear. He begins pressing the blend button on the mixer to the rhythm of his vaguely inappropriate dance, and Otis joins in as well, shaking his stomach while wiping down the counters. Xavier is sucked into the dance as he pulls glasses out of the cabinet and lines them up for E to pour the shakes into. It starts raining a bit harder as he and E prepare to bring out the rainbow of protein shakes. There are orange shakes, green shakes, purple shakes, red shakes, and creamy beige. Something for everyone! Don't you dare be sour, Big E shouts in his typical jovial voice as the three of them emerge from the kitchen. Clap your hands for the world-famous extra protein protein shakes made by yours truly, Big E, and feel the power. The power belly, Otis adds, tapping out a rhythmic pattern on his guts, which sounds a lot like a bongo. Kofi and Tucker both clap, per Big E's request, and they try to make everyone else join in. Mandy laughs slightly and shakes her head. Sonya, on the other hand, groans and covers her face with her arm, then says, We've done this same routine every night. Xavier leans between her and Mandy, playing a long, low note on Francesca. We ride at dawn, Miss DeVille! Big E says to her formally and hands her a green protein shake. Routines provide comfort and normalcy. Normalcy! The man has a point, Kofi agrees solemnly. Then his demeanor shifts again, and he twerks over to Big E and the extra protein protein shakes. He grabs one and raises it high. Now it's time for a toast. Guys, no amount of routine will make anything about this situation normal, Mandy points out, feeling like she needs to remind them all of this. She isn't mad. She's merely being informative. You also have a point, Kofi agrees with her as well. Now, toast, he says again with glee. Everyone stands. Otis squeezes into the group next to Mandy as Sonya watches him carefully. He bumps into Mandy becomes flustered, and Mandy either doesn't mind or doesn't notice. Woods looks thoughtful again. They raise their glasses to toast, and there is a roll of thunder in the distance before anyone can say what exactly it is they're toasting. That was weird timing, Mandy comments as they clink their shakes together. There are some shrugs and mumbles, but they're interrupted by Otis saying, Feast time! Oh yeah! Toast to the feast! Let's eat! Don't have to tell me twice, buddy. Tucker moves toward the table where the huge spread of food has been carefully laid out for the seven of them. This is an awful lot of food, Kofi states the glaringly obvious fact. We'll need rations for the journey, Otis responds with a serious nod. Tucker watches Xavier as he lingers back and peeks between the curtains of one of the windows. His brow is knitted tightly. There's nothing beyond the window aside from rain and darkness, but he peers outside anyway. Tucker asks him, What's gotten into you, Woods? He answers, I have a strange feeling. It's hard to explain. Like, 
something is about to happen. That's always the case, though, isn't it? Kofi joins in, having been listening. Something is always about to happen all the time. That's the nature of some things and happenings. Kofi rubs his temples. You know what I mean, man. Are all the doors locked? Sonya then asks, not being paranoid or anything, but just in case. He nods. It's not a bad feeling, just impending? Doom? Biggie questions, his eyes wide. No, not doom, Xavier clarifies quickly. I said it wasn't a bad feeling. Maybe you're just hungry, Tucker suggests. You look hungry. Feast, Otis tells him. It's less of an invite this time and more of an imperative. For your strength and constitution, Woodsy. Mandy then chimes in and wants a bit of reassurance. No one else knows we're here, right? Just Alexa and Nikki. We haven't recruited anyone new, and none of us have accidentally let slip that this is where we're meeting. Everyone in the group confirms that they did not reveal their location at any point. Xavier comments, this storm is probably going to slow them down more. As if to show support of this theory, thunder rumbles more closely. Spooky, Mandy says then. Sonya elbows her and whispers, I don't think you're helping. It was a joke, she whispers back. Sorry, it's just a storm. They all take their plates back to their seats around the TV, which has been playing a three-day marathon of a cop procedural, and they've been watching it all three days. So they can't stop now. Woods joins and seems to relax slightly, but tenses up each time there's thunder. Let's play a game, Tucker says to the group to break the silence. I second that, Biggie agrees. Yes, game, Otis mumbles through a slice of ham as he sits down between Mandy and Sonya on the couch. Sonya shoots him a glare. He mumbles quickly, sorry. Feats of strength, he announces and stands. That's not even a game, Kofi tells him, and we can't play that while we eat. He is ignored and E flexes his pecs, then points. I will lift this recliner while eating. A deafening rumble of thunder shakes the house and the lights flicker. Then there is a perfectly timed knock at the door. They emit a collective gasp and Sonya drops her fork. Worried glances are quickly exchanged, and Sonya mumbles what everyone is thinking as she reaches for her fork and grips it in her fist. One of us told someone, and now they've found us. Everyone freezes for a moment, sitting still, waiting for another knock. Maybe the storm just blew a branch and it clattered into the front door. The knock comes again, an erratic series of five knocks. It's not the secret knock to identify allies, not even close. Get your weapons! Tucker tells them all, taking charge. He moves silently and swiftly towards the entrance and picks up his short sword from next to the coat rack as he reaches for the first lock to unbolt the door. The lights flicker again and remain off this time, casting them all in shadow. A flash of lightning illuminates the silhouette of the uninvited visitor outside. It's a cloaked figure, unrecognizable. Everyone quietly puts down their plates and stands. Xavier clutches Francesca, and E reaches for the huge warhammer he keeps under the couch. Mandy stands and snaps her fingers, summoning a twisted wand from across the room. It zips through the air, tumbling end over end, and it hits Kofi in the forehead as it passes. Whoops, she says as she catches it, and it begins to glow. It's dark, I can't see. He clutches his head with one hand and stumbles into E, who props him upright and pats him on the shoulder with his free hand. Sonya pulls daggers from her boots, crouching down and becoming nearly invisible. There is a low growl as Otis drops down to all fours and turns into a hulking, shaggy, blonde grizzly bear. He shakes his giant head, slinging foamy bear spit onto the wall. 
He pads across the floor to stand behind Tucker, just as he is unbolting the final lock. He yanks the door open and it slams into the doorstop with a loud bang, and he raises his sword. Everyone is poised to attack. The lights snap back on, and the figure exclaims from beneath the hood of the drenched cloak, Y'all let me in! It's real wet out here! Then he notices all of the weapons pointed in his general direction, and he exclaims again, Damn! Okay! I'll stay out here then! Otis plops down onto his haunches, and Tucker lowers his sword. He lets out a sigh and utters simply, Our truth Our truth everyone then mumbles, sheathing their weapons and putting them down to pick up their plates again. Who told him where to find us? Tucker asks, and no one confesses. Otis trundles back toward the couch, returning to his human form as he does so. Only Xavier remains interested in our truth as he enters the house. After locking all seven of the locks on the door, Tucker also returns to his seat and his meal. He turns the television back on and locates the cop show after thumbing through the channels. Good to see you, Truth, Xavier says to him pleasantly enough, but he's looking him over closely, mistrustfully. Were you followed? Nah, I'm stealthy like a wild giraffe roaming the savanna, ducking and dodging, serpentine. His eyes then wander to the selection of food, and he completely loses his train of thought and says, Ah, oh, you made me dinner! How'd you know I was coming? We didn't. How did you know we were here? Xavier presses. The queen sent me, he says, as if the answer is obvious, and he's confused about why he's even being asked. He refocuses again on the food, his raggedy brown cloak leaving a trail of water from the door all the way to the table. Which queen? Xavier interrogates. Truth answers, yeah. Which queen? Xavier repeats his question. Yes, exactly! R-Truth answers, louder, annoyed by having to answer a second time. No, he means which queen sent you? Kofi tries to help, again listening to the conversation. Truth turns and looks at them both, removing the hood from his head and then adjusting his headband. I said yes. Y'all got a carbon monoxide leak or something in here? You gone deaf. Kofi has another go. Nah, which queen? The queen of hearts, the queen of spa- Truth cuts him off, frustratedly. The queen! Charlotte! The witch queen! Oh! Everyone says in unison. Then Mandy comments, That's weird on a number of levels. No kidding. Woods turns back to Truth, getting between him and the food. How did she know we were here? He shrugs, and then sidesteps Xavier to approach the table. Sorcery? I don't know. I don't mess with that magical stuff. Freaks me out. Okay... He pauses briefly and then asks, Why did she send you? She's got a message for you! He again answers like he has no idea why Xavier and company are confused. He thinks they prepared dinner for him after all, so they were clearly expecting him. Everyone waits for him to give them said message. Tucker munches on carrot slices noisily in anticipation. Truth pays them no mind and makes no effort whatsoever to relay the message. Instead, he begins hovering his hands over the different foods on the table, wiggling his fingers, and he ponders what to eat first. What's the message? Sonya is the one to give in and prompt him. I can't remember on an empty stomach. He continues to study the food. Y'all are sure being pushy. You're acting like it's the end of the world or something. Charlotte, too. She was all, You gotta get there fast, Truth. You gotta stay hidden, Truth. Don't lose your belt, Truth. Everyone's putting a lot of pressure on me, you know? 
Let me have five minutes of peace and eat. I've been traveling for days. You do still have the belt, right? Xavier asks. What belt? He shows several stalks of asparagus into a folded pancake like it's a taco. The 24-7 belt of power. He speaks to him with dire urgency and forces Francesca toward Kofi. He then grabs R-Truth by his shoulders and shakes him violently, speaking loudly and very slowly. Tell me you still have the belt, Truth! Oh! Yeah, I still got that one. It's under this cloak. I'm in disguise. He pours a light drizzling of a protein shake on top of his pancake and asparagus taco while being shaken. Miraculously, he doesn't get anything on the floor. Before taking a bite, he tells them, Everyone keeps grabbing me by the shoulders, shaking me and yelling at me lately, too. It began with the forging of the belts of power. The 23 belts were given to the greatest heroes of the four realms of Pinfall to aid them against the forces of evil in the first WrestleMania. For within these belts was bound ancient magic, capable of opening and closing gates between worlds, between time and space, and bending reality itself, giving the holders of the belts immense power. The champions, as they came to be called, were gods among mortals with the abilities granted to them by the belts of power. They were meant to keep the belts safe, use their magic for good, and in turn protect the kingdom of Pinfall whenever the forces of evil returned and brought a WrestleMania upon the earth. But time passed and the belts changed hands. They were won and lost, not always honorably and their greatest secrets were forgotten. The forces of evil were quiet, biding their time while they grew stronger than before, and there seemed to be no more WrestleManias to threaten the kingdom of Pinfall. Or so the stories went. History became legend, legend became myth, and the belts became little more than shallow symbols of their once great power. Squabbled over by those wanting to be called champions, the truth was lost, forgotten, altered. That is until one day, when chance came, and two belts of power fell into the possession of a certain champion that only by accident tapped into the ancient magic, beginning the fulfillment of a long-forgotten prophecy. For hundreds of years, high atop the tallest spire of the Titan Tower, sitting on a throne made of gold adorned in diamonds and skulls, the artisan of the belts and the titan of Pinfall watched as the gifts he made to protect Pinfall were squandered and their great magic remained dormant. He was amused for a while, watching the mortals fight amongst themselves over the incomprehensibly powerful artifacts that they never properly utilized. He watched as the four realms forgot their alliances of old and began warring between one another as well, tearing apart the kingdom. He watched still as the belts began corrupting the champions. He watched constantly, and eventually he closed the gates of his palace, locking himself in his throne room to watch without being disturbed, obsessed with the progression of his creations, and constantly needing to thrust his hand into their existence. After a time, the artisan's amusements turned into resentment. He resented the commoners and the so-called champions alike. He began to desire the coming of a WrestleMania. He desired the WrestleMania to end all WrestleManias, the Great WrestleMania, the last WrestleMania, the WrestleMania of the Apocalypse. He knew the time approached that he would need to call upon the forces of evil again. Either heroes would emerge and put a stop to the destruction, redeeming humanity as they had done in the past, or the forces of evil would overrun the earth and put an end to his suffering. 
He sought a powerful champion to do his bidding, one he could manipulate that could harness the power of a belt and call upon the sleeping demons. But no one was quite good enough for this final story he had concocted. No one would work for this twisted task conceived in his clouded mind. Then on that day, when chance came, when those two particular belts were brought together by that particular champion at that particular moment, an ancient magical seal was broken and a crack was created between Pinfall and Heel, the home of the forces of evil. The forces of evil were stirred from their slumber, and not by the titan of Pinfall this time. The great artisan clapped his hands gleefully, cackling. The champion was not one he had expected, not even one he had considered, but he cackled no less. He would make this work. He cackled until his eyes watered, and all of the other titans and heavenly beings could hear his mirth raining down on them from the prison of his own making. He whispered to the demons. He told them to defeat the weak champions, take their belts, steal the belts, cheat and win the belts, and open all of the heel gates, open every portal, bring doom upon all of Pinfall. He even told them how to do it. They did as they were told by the mysterious deity, infiltrating the ranks of the champions, winning over the commoners, questing for the belts of power so they could bring forth a monumental WrestleMania. By the time some of the champions realized the rumors about the forces of evil were true, realized the WrestleManias of old were not a myth, thought that perhaps the belts of power really were magical vessels that could bestow godlike powers on their bearers if they could just figure out how to use them, all hope seemed lost. And that is exactly why everyone keeps grabbing R-Truth by the shoulders, shaking him, and yelling at him. Tune in next week for Chapter 2. Watch out for the green mist. Like, subscribe, comment, whatever. Uh, definitely go to... Uh, Facebook, Find the Kingdom of Pinfall, like it there, and you can get art prints by me from the Kingdom of Pinfall on Etsy. If you want my art on other merch, you can find it on Redbubble under Mishiar, that's M-I-C-H-I-A-R-R. Um, Twitter, you can find, uh, the handle is holy underscore text. This is also the account under which you can find the written version of this chapter on AO3 if you are interested in reading it with your face. Uh, if you're feeling super frisky, you can check out my Patreon, which is also called The Kingdom of Penfall. I try to keep things simple. I will stick a link tree for all of these goodies in the description or something, I suppose. And that's it. Thank you. 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 Thank you.